Hey, one fans, Andy here. We're going to Cisco Live, and we can't wait to see you there. If we see you wearing an A1 or Cables to Cloud shirt at Cisco Live, we'll enter you in our giveaway that includes a bunch of cool prizes like an A1 branded Yeti cup and an OCG of your choice from our friends at Cisco Press. Don't have a shirt? No problem. Head to the link in our bio and grab yours today. See you soon. This is the Art of Network Engineering Podcast. In this podcast, we'll explore tools, technologies, and talented people. We aim to bring you information that will expand your skill sets and toolbox and share the stories of fellow network engineers. Welcome to the Art of Network Engineering. I am Tim Bertino at Tim Bertino on Twitter, and I am joined this evening by Lexi Cooper at Track It Pacer on Twitter. What's happening, Lexi? Hey, Tim. Um, not a whole lot going on. It was just the 4th of July recently, so everything is like chill and very hot, and I am chill. <laughs> And I don't have AC in my house, so that's fun. Um, yeah, that's where that's where my brain is at. Right now. It's just <laughs> no the AC. Temperature. Oh my. Yeah. Well, okay. Technically, one room in my house has like a window unit, so it's been fun in Seattle summer. I don't know. I don't How's think that? you. I, I don't think you did it on purpose. But when you said it was the 4th of July and everything's chill, you kind of put your hands in front of the camera. And I just saw that as you're talking about the 4th of July and we were making sure you had all 10 fingers. (laughs) Yeah. You know what, though? You know what, though? I definitely did not have any danger this 4th of July because my neighborhood, instead of doing fireworks, did a drone show, which to me sounded super lame. But, well, I I thought it'd be super lame. (laughs) But it wasn't. It wasn't. It was actually really, really neat. And I like it better than fireworks now because it was like quite like it wasn't the scary fireworks noises. But it was also like, you know, they had like a soundtrack, you know, like, I don't know, it was like 80s rock songs. But it was so cool. <laughs> they did like 3D like animations of like, you know, the Liberty Bell and the Statue of Liberty. And really? there was like an eagle that flapped its way. It was awesome. It was very cool. So I highly recommend drone shows <laughs> for your special <laughs> occasions. <laughs> How was that? How was your holiday, Tim? Great. We uh, yeah. we spent it on uh, my uh, my wife's parents' farm, and they've got the whole thing of. So my my father in law used to work for uh, the city in this small town, and at one point years ago, he he literally came home the the city or the town playground got all new playground equipment. So he brought home one of those like tall sheet metal death trap slides that we all remember <laughs> from the eighties and nineties yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah. hooked a hose up to it. And in their backyard that slopes at like a perfect angle downhill. And there's like this, this big water slide in their, uh, in their backyard oh, on the awesome. farm. So that's been like a 4th of July tradition for the last, I don't know, 10 plus years. But <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds like a great time. I'm kind of jealous. Was. Like it's been a while since I've done water sports. <laughs> <laughs> even even slip and slide type things. That's cool. That's awesome. And, and I don't uh, I don't get too much into the fireworks anymore, which makes things a ton safer. So that yeah, that's good. It's good. And and less scary for children and dogs. <laughs> and dogs. Yep, exactly. 
So we did already have a uh, question in the chat from Zetharian, but but are you on Threads? That's a new thing now. Oh my gosh! The next um, Twitter competitor. I haven't oh I haven't man. had a chance to talk to you about okay. it yet, Lexi. What are your thoughts? I know. Oh my god! I'm Don't do it. Tim. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. Right. I'm so tired. So I'm on everything. I'm on everything except for Threads and Snapchat. So and Facebook. Okay, those are the three things. But I am on Blue Sky. I am on Mastodon. Uh, I guess the, and I'm on the actual Twitter, right? So like, you know, and Instagram and YouTube and Twitch and all the blah, blah, blah. And I am so tired of opening up accounts and then reposting because there's not a single program that can, everybody's closing down their stupid APIs, right? Mm -hmm. So no, everybody's either charging exorbitant amounts of money to get to their APIs or they're just not allowing people to do it at all. So there's not like a single program that can post on all these things. And it's a freaking nightmare like i'm not i'm not doing it and i yeah i'm not doing it never say never but i'm not where's the roku of social media anymore but yeah like you said your point with the apis yeah before every sorry before every ceo decided they're going to charge five million dollars a month to access their stupid apis like they were there those those that software was there run by volunteers a lot of it but no not anymore so it doesn't exist and that's my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It could be if, all different next week. We can have are you, the same. Are you on threads, Tim? Chat. Are you going to do uh, it? No, I just, I just heard what it was this morning. So no. It's yeah, Instagram, they, but not. Yeah. <laughs> is it Instagram or is it Twitter? Because it's well, run it's, by Meta. It's right? run by so Meta. I think so I think it's, Twitter? yeah, it's similar to Twitter, but it's tied to your Instagram account. So oh, yeah. I've you heard have there's to log a lot of in issues. with that. And then if you want to get rid of your threads account, you have to delete your Instagram account. It's the same. Very bad. Yeah. Bad, 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 bad. So bad. Anyway, so good luck, before, everybody. Before we uh, get into potential social social media CEO cage matches, because that'll be a whole completely different episode. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into our now. topic this evening. We are going to discuss something called media networking. And we have brought on Josh Warcop to discuss this topic. Josh, can you introduce yourself and tell us what we're really discussing tonight, what it means and why it's important? Sure. I will try to answer at least two of those three things. Uh, we're talking about media networking. My background has always followed a bit of audio stuff. So I was a DJ for a while, really liked DJing, really liked doing that, you know, having fun, partying, etc. We're going to have to Talk about yeah, that later. We, oh, we didn't. We're gonna talk about DJing. You didn't bring oh, that I was up just until a DJ now. Once upon a time, didn't know that. <laughs> no yeah. big deal. Oh, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so the audio stuff has always been like a hobby, right? And so the the challenge in that is like, okay, so the hobby is great, but I need to make more money. So let me figure out this engineering and networking thing. I got into tech a long time ago, and kind of like, how can I kind of blend what I like on the audio stuff, but also do networking and you know some computer sciencey tech stuff and. Uh, early 2000s, right? Cisco came along and says, Hey, we're going to do this thing called voice on networks. Uh, they bought a company at the time. They're like, and the VAR that I was working at just doing, you know, basic server admin type stuff, you know, they're like, Hey, you want to go learn, you know, Cisco voice? And I was like, Sure. That sounds fun. It's audio. You know, how can I blend some of that? And so that kind of kicked it off, right? You know, how can I, how can I put audio and, and learn how to, deal with phones, deal with audio inputs onto networks and get that stuff converted into wonderful IP packets. That's been kind of the career kickstart was like, so I kind of followed audio and then later video. 
uh, as you know, bandwidths went up, you know, Ethernet speeds went up. It's like now we can do more video and video and video. So I kind of have just been following that. That's kind of a, you know, short story origin story of how I got into voice and video. Of course, you know, did the Cisco collaboration thing for a long time. And then now it's kind of pivoting a little bit again, right? There is a, you know, a broadcast TV industry that has been around a lot longer than Ethernet's been around. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, 1940s, right? When NBC and CBS got started and, and how they did analog video, et cetera. Then along came digital video in like 1989, 1990, when those standards got written and everything went digital. So now we've had digital video, we've had digital audio for many, many years. And the next pivot that's happening is, okay, cool. How do I get away from even the digital video and just use Ethernet and IP networking for everything. That's the topic. So currently, or at least I guess up until recently, Ethernet was not being used to carry that data, at least broadcast yeah, TV stuff? you're right. It was nope. not. So uh, SDI has been around a while from a digital video perspective. And so if you see a lot of like the the cable picture stuff from like the Reddit threads and stuff like that, of like the massive amount of cables that are like in a rack, I'm talking thousands of cables. A lot of times it's actually video distribution cables. Could be camera networks, could be video distribution because it's not a it's not an Ethernet switch that's doing all that stuff. It's usually a back of a video router when you see it like the 1,024 cables plugged into a rack. Um, that's that's SDI, that's digital video. Um, and so the pivot is, okay, cool, SDI has been great, but now the bandwidth requests are going up even more. Um, SDI was like at 1.3 gig. I'm going to get all this math wrong, so if anybody wants to fact check me while we're talking, that's totally fine. <laughs> we get all the math gonna, wrong, we are, probably yeah, intentionally. Right. I'm going to Google it right now. Let's go. <laughs> Um, so SDI, right? Uncompressed video is 1.3, 1.4 gigabit per second. And so you already can hear the problem of that trying to put that on Ethernet, right? That's faster than a one gig Ethernet port. Um, so video and SDI videos has been around a long time and it's probably not going away anytime soon. But how can we start leveraging faster Ethernet speeds to pivot over to Ethernet? Uh, and that's what the broadcast industry is challenged with right now. Um, I was fortunate enough to make it out to NAB show this year. Uh, NAB show is probably like three times the size of Cisco Live. Uh, they fill out the entire Las Vegas Convention Center. All three, I like north, south, east, west wings of Las Vegas Convention Center. Wow. And um, the common theme at NAB show this year was definitely continuing down the path of, well, how do I put all this stuff on a network, right? Servers with network ports. Huh. Uh, servers with GPUs running network ports and they're not, they're not shy about how fast they need to go either. They're talking, you know, 100 gig ethernet ports, right? They're like, why don't we just go all the way fast? So we don't have to have this conversation again. Um, what are that's the, the limits of, of SDI? I assume we're hitting up against limits of SDI mm -hmm. and that's the reason for doing this, right? So do you, do you, I don't mean to quiz you, but I'm just You're curious. Quiz. What are the I'll limits? Try. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you do you know the limit of SDI? Like, at what point can you say, okay, this will not travel well over SDI? We can't use it. Yeah, so SDI has generationally been a thing, right? So they started HD SDI, then we had, I think it's 6G SDI, and then 12G SDI, and then 24. So those are measurements of the gigabit per second. So the they also had some concepts of like, how can I do dual cable SDI, right? How Basically, well... I'm going to, I'm going to say it wrong again. It's not multi-channel ethernet or a lag or, or a trunk port, right? But it's a similar concept of let me, 
let me put it on two cables instead of one cable. And then they've done that a couple of times. So we're reaching like a, a, a limit, absolutely of bandwidth and just ability to, to not only push the bandwidth, but also all the additional metadata that I now need to send. Like we're, we're familiar with Netflix and, and the YouTubes trying to do HDR content or Dolby Vision or, you know, that high extra color bandwidth. Um, all of that's more data, right? So we're definitely pushing the, the limits when it comes to what SDI can provide for us. It's not going away anytime soon, right? I mean, there's still like a, a broadcast standard to reach the masses, right? We're not all going to get 4K video. Everybody that's still getting their TV over mm-hmm. antennas, right? That's going to mm-hmm. be a thing for a very, very long time because of just the way the world works. So we still need to meet those needs and those needs can easily be met with SDI. We've been meeting those forever. Uh, but in the newer HDR, 4K, maybe even 8K down the road, right? That's going to be a lot more bandwidth required. So you mentioned uh, the big challenge is, is bandwidth. So it's pushing mm-hmm. us from these localized digital uh, media cabling and switching to Ethernet and IP networks. So you're mm-hmm. you're taking an industry to traditional data networking that's never seen that before, or at least to the, the scale that most enterprises use it at. So that's yeah. to me, that's screaming skills gap. So you have a need for networking-minded people, network admins, network engineers into the video right. space, but they kind of need to be able to speak some of that video language as well. So how how do we get those network minded people into these media networks. You're right. That's a that's a big question mark right now. I think a lot of companies and TV stations and, and broadcast stations are trying to figure this out right now, right? I mean the standard's relatively new, right? I mean just because the standard gets written doesn't mean it's going to happen the first year, right? It's going to take some time for it to get productized into stuff actually in the field. It's wrong the first time. There's a whole life cycle of this stuff. So we're really reaching a point where those skill gaps are getting challenged. Uh, so we've got a lot of broadcast engineers and AV uh, enterprise engineers that are trying to learn more networking. And we've got a lot of network engineers that are trying to learn more broadcast. It's like it's like a lingo problem, too. I mean, they've that industry's got so many more acronyms than you think networking has. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> do you think who do you think is going to have the hardest time like crossing over network engineers into broadcast or broadcast into networking? Oh, man. So I'm going to tell on myself right now, I'm having a challenge <laughs> learning the broadcast stuff. I think it's going to be easier for the broadcast community to learn network engineering, quite honestly. Now, um, why do you think Easier, that? not necessarily correct. Wait, wait can, you, can you elaborate <laughs> on that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so my, if, if you want to, I, I think it needs to be a dual role in the future. Instead of saying, hey, a broadcast engineer has to know everything, Right. How do we embed a second or a third person that knows the specific skill set? Right. We're getting into this too much knowledge domain problem. It's almost like saying I know everything about cybersecurity. That's not a thing. Uh, right. It's, okay. it's like saying I know everything about broadcast engineering is not a thing. Right. It's like I know the broadcast engineering side and then we need to or AV engineering and I need to add in a network and then also a cybersecurity person into the conversation. Right. Yeah. Somebody just said it in chat. Yeah, you're right. It's a lot more cost. It is driving the cost by adding people into the conversation. But I think a lot of the companies that are doing this have the dollars to spend on it. We're talking some pretty big media conglomerates and, and they get a lot of advertising revenue. I can almost see, though, companies more than maybe like hiring extra people potentially actually like asking their current people to start yeah. expanding their skill sets. Is that something that lines up with your experience so far or? It does. Yeah. So yeah. at, um, 
I guess I'll give an experience from NAB show. I actually put on a vendor shirt and stood in their, their booth and kind of, you know, talked about people coming up and talking about this stuff. It was a networking company and there were a lot of broadcast engineers coming up going, Hey, where do I even start learning Ethernet and IP? That was a very, very common conversation because they've got the background, right? They know how to sit in the control room and go live and do stuff like that and, and do what they do. Uh, I don't know what they do. I haven't done what they've done, so I can't elaborate on that. But they're asking that for sure because that is what's happening. You're exactly right. The companies are going, hey, look, we're making this pivot over to IT infrastructure, servers, routers, switches. You need to start learning that. And I feel like that's a problem that companies are putting on people, right? Uh, I don't know how we're supposed to know everything. <laughs> yeah, it honestly, I'm, it kind of smacks of the like, you got to learn automation now. Thing. I was oh, just going to say that. I'm, Sorry. I'm, no, 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 no. I love, I love right. that we're thinking the same thing because I'm drawing a very similar parallel from yeah. mm -hmm. you know broadcast engineering people having to learn networking to network engineers having to learn things like automation and cloud. Yeah. There's, it, it's just different problems, but uh, a mm -hmm. lot of similarities, it seems. Oh, yeah. Go automate everything tomorrow. You can do that by next week, right? Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> um, so you're absolutely right. It's it's becoming a, a too much knowledge domain problem. And I think companies are going to have to start addressing it legitimately because uh, you're, you're going to start running into personality problems of the the engineers that, that haven't learned yet to say no. That's not what I know. And I don't have time to go and learn that. Uh, people want to think they know, can learn everything. And, and that's just going to be something we're going to have to address. So you're right. It's a, it's a skills gap problem. And, you know, that's kind of want to, want to part of the, the, the reason to get on here and talk about it is like, how do we, how do we go after it without saying, Hey, you got to know everything. Can we talk about some of the specific technologies? Um, that somebody who's a network engineer now maybe or getting into network engineering but is actually interested specifically in mm. kind of plugging into the broadcast world or like the you know voice and video world what what kind of protocols technologies cert track whatever like what should they be looking at do you do you have like a list of things or any recommendations yeah i think um I think a good recommendation is if, if you're already down the path with any sort of, uh, Cisco certification, there's some books that have been around a very long time about how to put voice on networks. The broadcast industry and even the radio broadcast industry did it before video broadcast industry did. So radio was very quick to pivot to this alongside voice, right? They were like, audio is easy, right? It's a 64K stream that I can drop on the network. No problem. You can do that all day long. Um, so audio broadcasting and, and audio and phones on networks were definitely a thing first. So there's a lot of books that already exist on how to do that and how that works, right? How do I do packetization of, of voice into an IP packet, right? And how that process works. There is a CCNA or I don't, I don't think it's called CCNA anymore, but there is a voice level one book basically from Cisco collaboration that is, I, I think it's still a good entry point from, from a network engineer's perspective, looking at this, uh, because it's going to, it's going to give you some fundamental concepts, right. Of like how this actually happens. Um, and those same concepts, I think translate to broadcast because it's still the same RTP packet, right. On the network. We're just doing it a much higher bandwidth when it comes to video. So we're talking about, dropping these uh, voice and video packets, these streams onto IP networks. Is this something that we're combining on 
traditional data networks? Or are we treating this kind of like OT and security camera networks where they're, they're separate physical networks? What does that look like? Yeah. And it depends on the venue, depends on the building. Um, I'll give an example of a, uh, a live venue. Um, sports venue, right? We can do, or it is possible to do that on one converged network uh, when it comes to audio only. So if I'm, or if I'm talking about all of the digital signs or you go to a baseball or football game, right? And you see all the signs that, that you know, well, you walk out in the hallway and I'm like, hey, there's the game on the screen, right? I can do all of the voice and video and the compressed stuff on one converged network. Where you can't do it on a converged network is when I go up into the broadcast booth and I need to get the broadcast cameras up into the control room and then out onto the scoreboards, right? That's the high bandwidth stuff that has to be a separate network because it just, you, you can't, it's too much bandwidth. I can't run that over one gig network and I'm probably not going to spend the money to run a hundred gig for all of the stuff that doesn't need a hundred gig throughout the whole venue. Um, even in an enterprise, it's usually a separate network. So if I'm doing digital signage or video distribution through the building, uh, it's a lot of times a separate network. And the reason for that is it comes down to who wants to manage this, the gear, number one, and who wants to manage all the multicast required. It's all multicast we're talking about, right? It is, it is a multicast mm-hmm. network, 100%. And a lot of times, uh, the engineers that are running the corporate network are like, no, no, you're not going to put that stuff on my network. Forget it. <laughs> Just go build your own uh, other network and go do that over there. <laughs> Every network engineer that I know <laughs> loves multicast. It's their oh, yeah. favorite kind of traffic. Yeah. Oh, man. oh yeah. So Everything it is we're multicast. talking about so far is multicast. 110%. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's obviously some unicast when we're talking about just audio. But uh, when we're talking about a video distribution, yeah, multicast. So multicast um, would be a good thing. I assume like PIM and IGMP, like at least the basics, if not like that is very advanced stuff would be very, very good. Okay. Very good for people to study if they're interested in going this route with their network engineering. Okay, cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, multicast and PIM and and how to manage that on a network is, is essential. Um, I would say that's one thing to help. um, Like when the AV integrator shows up at your building, and wants to plug in a whole bunch of stuff that's your, you know, AV tools or conference room stuff or whatever like that. It's uh, it's super important to know the, what the multicast implications are because they're going to want to plug it into your network and you better go, uh, I either have a handle Ooh, on this broadcast. or I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 When we talk about uh, enterprise networks and creating these separate physical networks for media for voice and video mm. if the traditional IT network teams aren't managing it then then who is is it typically integrators or just other like we talked about the split between IT mm. and OT we've had a, a recent episode about that like who would be managing and maintaining these networks well it, i mean it depends on the customer right sometimes the integrator will come in and do the day zero day one get it up and running everything looks great and just basically hand it back it's not a network that's touched very often i would say it doesn't have the same life cycle as an as a corporate network uh for desktop servers etc probably has a much longer life cycle because it's very purpose built and so i'm going to put it in the closet and it's going to do its job for moving video in my building probably for the next 5 to 7 years um so the it team can patch it, secure it, and isolate it. Uh, but I'm, I don't need to go back to it very often. So some customers, it'll just get kind of handed back to them. 
In other cases, you're absolutely right. It may be the integrator that's going to do the day two support and just kind of care and feed. Again, it doesn't need a lot of care and feeding. It does need some from a security perspective. Um, but it, I mean, there's a variety of customers out there, right? Uh, some folks want to take it on. Some folks don't want to take it on. Um, but it is a separate, typically a separate video distribution. And, you know, as we get into the, you know, higher, uh, higher HDR slash 4K content, you know, that wants to get pushed throughout a building, right? We're starting to build 10 gig networks. Uh, if I'm doing IPTV through a building or a prison, uh, that's going to be a 10 gig network these days. And uh, it's usually just got its own separate care and feeding. Did you say a prison just there? I did say a prison. Yeah, that's so actually So are we talking like security <laughs> cameras? Yeah. No, no, we're talking about prisoners watching TV. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if, if I wanted to put TVs throughout an entire campus, it is a campus. It's a campus mm-hmm. network. It's just a prison. Um, yeah, it's a lot of TVs. Interesting. That was the next Nobody thing I wanted to talk about. Like, uh, exactly. And on the enterprise side, we talked about things like, like stadiums and now prisons. But uh, <laughs> what are some of the, what are some of the other um, examples of enterprises that would have these things? And I think you, you just kind of answered this question in mm-hmm. IPTV. Can you kind of get into uh, IPTV, what the use cases are and why we would have a, a separate media network for IPTV? Yeah, absolutely. So the the thought process is before this was landing on the Ethernet, right? I would run a coax distribution through my campus. It could be a college campus. It could be an education facility. That's one big concept for this, right? Of how do I get TV into all the dorm rooms or TV into all of the the classrooms that need to display the news before that was networked, right? That was a separate coax based you know, RG6 network that ran through everything. So instead of having that additional cable plant, well, let me just don't do that anymore and run it on Ethernet as well. This is another case where Ethernet is winning in a vertical, right? Um, and so that's that's kind of concept. So education facilities, uh, corporate distribution of TV, like if, if I want to show a news channel in a break room, some of it isn't a lot of TVs, but but IPTV has definitely been a driving force behind getting everything over to the network. Would you say a lot of companies? So it the impression I've got is that we have sort of we're in sort of this like in between area where we've got like older technologies being used to carry a lot of this, and we're trying to move towards the newer like or you know relatively newer Ethernet. Would you say? I'm assuming the majority of of like broadcasting companies and things like that are using older technology and slowly moving in the newer technology direction. Is that am I am I right it's, about that? Is right. there a lot of like retrofitting happening? Is what I'm getting there, at. There's definitely a lot of retrofitting. Uh, there's a lot of converting going on. We talked about uh, SDI earlier. Uh, SDI to IP converters are a huge thing right now. Of like, how do I okay. get this existing stuff? in a little box that converts it from SDI to IP. <laughs> and that's all it does. Uh, you've got one video stream in one side and a, an IP stream out the other side. Uh, and how to bridge the gap is is a big topic of conversation right now. There's a lot of use cases and studies going on of like what's actually cheaper in the long run. You know, people are looking at the financial side. Nobody really knows because it's all getting productized right now and ship it, ship it, buy this, buy this, buy this. So yeah. it's, it's like, it, it's, I, I can't use the word exploding. I was told to stop using that because it, impl- it implies violence. So <laughs> there's an explosion of <laughs> ethernet happening. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ethernet-based so. Violence. 
Sorry. Uh, no, it's all good. Uh, so yeah, it, it is definitely a rapid expansion for some people. Uh, a lot of people are taking a pause and going, is this really financial, you know, justifiable for our station, our local station group? Is there a reason to do this the way that we've, you know, we've been doing it this way for 40 years. So why do I need to switch, right? What is the real advantage to this? And the advantage to it long term is probably how content is going to become interactive. I think that's, you know, a big change of like, hey, we've been delivering video content to you. But how do I start bringing in all the other content delivery streams and advertisers that are now all IP based into that? Uh, so the content delivery market is definitely driving a lot of this, too, of, hey, we need something newer, better, more modular, you know, one way to say it, of how to get content and advertisements into that. Leave it to the hyperscalers every time. Yeah. Yeah, leave it to the hyperscalers. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, A1 fans. Unimus is an on-premise network automation and configuration management solution designed for fast deployment and ease of use. On top of disaster recovery and change management, Unimus also handles config auditing. The config search feature lets you easily look up and list all the devices in your network with a particular config. By querying command outputs from your devices at scale, Unimus also gives you visibility into the running state of your network. Interested in a device agnostic NCM software to streamline and automate configuration management for your entire network? Check out Unimus. Now back to the show. So are people building, like still building SCI based infrastructure or is it mostly the new stuff being built as Ethernet IP based? Yes. Yeah, there, there's definitely um, a lot of customers that are still building SDI infrastructure. And the and the, the the reason for that is number one cost, right? It is a bit expensive at the moment, uh, depending on who you ask, right? That I'm going to get yeah. some somebody's going to come and tap on my shoulder I said that. But um depending on who you ask, yeah, the the newer ethernet infrastructure makes sense for maybe some some larger customers, whereas a smaller station might need to stick with SDI because of cost. And that's what they know. They don't they don't necessarily need to change. Right. It's it's a what are the what are the core business values that I'm getting out of this instead of just changing just to change. Right. That's like sure. the whole automation story we just talked about. Do I really need to automate or I just need to hire a person mm-hmm. to punch the buttons? <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Fi- I'm assuming it would be like mainly fiber based stuff and that can definitely be expensive. So that makes sense. Yeah, I think the I think the Ethernet market, too, is helping drive this is it's now becoming cheaper to go faster. Right. It's it's like, uh, you know, we used to look at one gig to 10 gig it was just expensive. Right. The, the the chips were not developed to go faster without spending a whole bunch more money. Now it's like uh, 400 gig. No problem. You know, 800 gig. No problem. Right. I can get uh, 32 ports of 800 gig and one RU now. So why wouldn't I just go ahead and buy an 800 gig switch uh, in mm-hmm. one RU as compared? And, and this is I think the, this is a good comparison, too. I can get that much bandwidth in one RU in an Ethernet switch to get that much bandwidth in a traditional video router is like half a rack. Right. It's there's like yeah, a, okay. you wow. know, power okay. economics problem. There's a cabling plan infrastructure to get that much bandwidth in the same older form factor. You're talking a lot more physical space to make that happen. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of economics are coming into play. And how can I go faster but not take over like another 10 racks of equipment? Yeah, okay. You're an architect. Somebody comes up to you and says, retrofit my SDI-based like infrastructure. Mm-hmm. How do you, in general, 
go, what are the things that you have to think about there? Like, what are the, I guess, gotchas with SDI going over yeah. to, you know, IP based stuff? So the, the gotchas would be, okay, uh, what, what do you want to do with the, you know, you have to evaluate or think about the cameras that are involved. You have to think about the video routers that are involved. You have to think about the control room and their workflows. You know, they're, they're, you know, when, when a, when somebody goes live in a control room, right, it is a live production. There can be no problems. So there's even a standard written to duplicate the network um, for live broadcasts, right? Don't build just two of these or just one of these. Build two of these. <laughs> and we're going to put the video stream twice. When I talked about earlier, there was an older STI standard that was like, let's put it on two wires instead of one. Well, that still kind of permeates the solution um, huh. and it can drive up costs. So a lot of times we're talking budget and financials way early in the conversation of like, OK, look, this is how much it's going to cost. This is how much uh, bandwidth is coming off the cameras. How is that going to impact all the port speeds that are needed? It's it's a pretty uh pretty intense conversation uh because are, you, are we talking like yeah. multi like two two potentially two completely separate active networks yep carrying In, the same data at the same time carrying the exact same data at the same time exactly interesting uh f just for the potential of any failure uh during a live broadcast right that second video stream is already being from the camera to the video router i've already got a second network it's flowing through um that's wild it's so yeah, it's, it's it two share? data center networks yeah i was okay so why why that sorry this is very <laughs> interesting to me right um why take that approach for redundancy as opposed to like you know lag or like you know like redundancy in like smaller ways more granular ways within the network like you know an active router and a standby route you know that kind mm -hmm. of a you know concept why two whole separate networks oh that's a that's a great question i i don't know i don't know the core answer of why that standard was written i would love to reach out to the people and go why did you write that standard this is two data center fabrics and when we're talking about data center fabrics we're talking about definitely 100 gig like spine leaf fabrics, right? Typical data center spine leaf mm -hmm. networks. Uh, they're not running VXLAN. They're not running EVPN or anything like that. It's basically a full layer three network uh, from the port. So the port is actually a layer three port, layer three all the way through the fabric. And the, the dash seven standard is basically say, okay, build two of those. And the camera is going to plug into two different leaves. And the video router is going to plug into two different leaves and it's going to be the same video stream across both of them. There's just a, there's just a no tolerance for any. Yeah. Problem. It's just a resilience, I, resilience, no thing, right? And I like drawing yeah. and why I think Lexi, I'm with you. Why I think this is for like a, an enterprise networking person. Why I think this is kind of crazy is to me drawing a parallel would be on a, on a floor, on an access, you'd have multiple access layer closets and you would have somebody's PC that has two NICs and plugged into, you know, diverse switch stacks, uh, essentially. But yeah, it sounds like it's just the, the, like you said, there's just no tolerance for, for failure and you need that mm -hmm. level of resiliency in these kinds of networks. Yeah. And I think it, it, it brings up a really good point back to the skills gap, right? The concepts that you just, just mentioned, right? You know, lag or LACP or, or having the ether channel conversation. Uh, those are concepts that are new to the people that are doing those designs and those standards, right? They're, they're not in the oh. weeds every day of what that means and what that looks like. So it's, why don't I just build a second one is probably the first generation of this problem. And then they're probably going to back down and say, well, if I want really redundancy at the access level, I can probably do this. 
instead of two switches. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if that's something that came from the old, old days before Ethernet even. It's Just like cultural two. differences, yeah. And yeah, it's really interesting to think about. But I can also see how for very, very, very critical networks, right? Like you're, you know, you're yeah. live. Um, it, it also does kind of make sense to me in a way that like you would have two yeah. completely separate. It's an active, active, like, you know, yeah. one fault tolerant network. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really cool. And so, and I, I've got a, a great parallel to, you know, some of the, some of the work that, that we've done with some very large uh, sports jewel events, right? Um, we've done some work with, um, uh, what was it? World Cup we were talking about earlier. Uh, we've done some work with Super Bowl. Uh, and we're doing some work with some tennis championships. And the idea is that it's a completely, there's two networks to run all of that. And there's probably four networks to back all of that back to between countries. I was so, going to say like when yeah. it's something like the world cup and it's like between countries and it's like between a ton of stadiums, and, between countries, um, a yeah, I mean, lot I, of, oh. lot of networking happening on that. But it, and are there, are there challenges around because those are our live events, right? So are we, uh, are we streaming live media and recording at the same time? What, what is that? like absolutely so it's all 100 live right so the camera feed is dropping onto the network and then i've got recording solutions that are also on that spine leaf network uh those recording solutions not only capture the video but they're also the way the servers also do the re-injection of all the graphics and all the scores and everything that you see on tv is happening on the network it's happening from servers with gpus integrating with graphics so yeah i mean it's it's definitely a big recording server and storage solution behind all of that. Um, and all of that is another thing that's pivoting to ethernet, right? This whole thing has not been ethernet storage previously, right? The whole industry is making the change over to like an IT data center. Well, let's um, dig into a live event like that a little more. So let's say you've got an American broadcasting company that is covering an event like that overseas. How do they do it? Are they are they shipping their own data center over there? <laughs> how do, how do they accomplish that? So uh, there's there is a there is a concept of uh, remote production, right? We're not gonna you know not not have everything distributed from the remote country, right? We're gonna ship the data back to probably a remote production facility or central control room, wherever, wherever the production company exists. Um, so one of the things that, that we've done and, and we, we showcased a little bit of this at uh, NAB show was that our, our concept of putting a media fabric or data center fabric into a shipping container so that we could actually get that to uh, a country like Qatar or Australia or wherever these events are happening, right? And uh, one of the things that was pretty neat, we, we kind of developed a folding rack solution because there is a uh, there is a height limit to put racks on or things on an airplane. So if we needed to fly it somewhere, we actually needed to fold the rack in half and then encapsulate <laughs> it in a box so that we could push it onto an airplane and send it somewhere. Wait, is um, this a rack that has like networking <laughs> equipment already installed and it's just yes. like we're just boop, boop, sticking it yep. on an airplane? <laughs> yep, absolutely. Wow. So it's uh, so it's it's two data centers, right? It's redundant, redundant fabrics, redundant everything. Uh, yeah, but it, it folds in half. Put it on a container. We can push it on an airplane. We can push it on a shipping container. Ship it anywhere around the world. Uh, Data center. Yes, I, I saw it in chat. It's very robust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 
<laughs> but it's a fun. It's Wait, a fun. So, so you're okay. You've got your data center that you've shipped overseas, right? Sitting in Qatar, wherever. Yep. How does the data actually get back to where it needs to go? Get broadcasted everywhere? Are you using like satellites and RF? Are you, you know, is it going over like an oceanic backbone? Like how how does all that work? Does it just depend on the company or a little bit of the company, for? right? Depending on who's doing the event. Um, I will say that most of that is uh, oceanic backbone, right? We're we're doing this at probably you know 100 gig speeds uh, on private backbones. Uh, there may be four to 800 gig worth of traffic coming from an event like the World Cup. Uh, all of the camera feeds, everything is getting it, getting brought back into a central location for then distribution in the country, right? Or it may be or it may be sent to other countries for their own distribution. It may cross countries to go back to another country. It, it all depends on the company, right? And how they want to take the feeds from something like that and then send it out over their, you know, antennas. That's a, that's Makes a way sense. oversimplification of it. <laughs> a lot of networking. I mean, yeah, that's always what it has to be unless we want to do a deep dive into every little thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Let's, let's, um, let's kind of go back to, we, we were talking about that skills gap in mm -hmm. traditional like broadcast engineers that are, that are wanting to learn networking. Let, let's go the other way. Let's talk about network engineers that maybe need to learn more about uh, these media applications. And, and I'm kind of selfishly asking this a little bit as somebody who's trying to understand a little more about collaboration. Do network engineers need to learn about the, you know, the intricacies of things like codecs and encoding and decoding. And, and the main reason I ask this is I recently took a, an intro to like collaboration course and I was all about it until it got into codecs and my brain <laughs> freaking melted. And, and I'm like, so how, how prevalent is are things like codecs and encoding and decoding for network engineers to be able to learn some of these media concepts? Uh, how much of a nerd do you want to be? <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, come on. We're on a podcast called the art of network engineering. <laughs> that is your answer. <laughs> I think, uh, I think learning about the encoding and decoding side of it, like how, how the, the video is actually turning into an IP packet is, is important. Like if you want to deep dive into any sort of troubleshooting perspective, uh, then you're probably going to need to know some of that. Um, and specifically, we're talking about when I, when I'm thinking codecs. Let me let's let's clarify what we're talking about here, right? Uh, I'm thinking of things like AV1. I'm thinking of Opus. I'm thinking of HVEC or MPEG. So those are or JXS, which is JPEG XS, right? So those are encoding strategies for taking the video and audio, compressing them if I need to at some level, and then turning them into an IP packet. Um, I think I think understanding the codec process and what the codec has to do to do all of that work uh, will make you super dangerous in the conversation. Uh, somebody mentioned in chat, it's yeah. It's I was afraid you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's not. So it's it's definitely not learning the software development side. I'm not saying go to the GitHub repo and learn how to read the C and, and understand that, but understanding the concept of how that codec and what that codec needs to operate uh, is probably the critical piece. Do I need a, do I need a GPU and a server or do I, can it be done on an Intel processor or can it be done uh, with a DSP and a router? Those are where the codecs have the capability to operate. Hardware goes faster, right? I can do a lot of things in software, but when it comes to video compression and decompression, I probably need a piece of hardware to do that. 
one of the big things that I used to run a series called Codec Wars, and I think I had that in the notes earlier. Uh, there's been there's a couple prevalent codecs that are that are kind of taking the lead, uh, and it's really following the open source tradition. I think uh, I think we all know and see that open source kind of wins a lot of times in the end. So anything open source, I don't have to pay licensing. Probably a good thing. Uh, AV1 is probably heading that direction of being more of the winning codex out there. Uh, if I can compress and decompress and I don't have to pay a license fee to 20 companies that own the old stuff, that's great. Uh, Instagram recently converted over to AV1 for their reels, right? So anytime you watch uh, Instagram reel, that's an AV1 decode on your phone. Um, and that happened because folks like Apple and Intel put AV1 decoding in their processors. Uh, so oh, AV1 is a huge conversation right now. Just real quick for my own edification. I'm trying to, so I'm deep into Ethernet right now. I'm trying to sort of relate this to the encoding that happens with Ethernet frames, right? Because depending on your flavor of Ethernet, you have a different kind of encoding. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what, at what level of the OSI model, maybe does this encoding happen for like video audio compression? Uh, I forgot my OSI model. So forgive me on that one. Uh, above okay. trans above transport. <laughs> so yeah, the above, encoding. Okay, so it's higher transport. than mm -hmm. layer four. Okay, so I was wondering yeah. if it was like maybe is it is this a presentation layer or whatever the useless yeah. ones above? You know, is this one of those layers as opposed to the lower layer like lay layer two encoding yeah. that Ethernet? It's, okay, it's higher up. So so session establishment would relate to things like SIP and SIP TLS. Uh, okay. Session establishment would also be like uh, HLS or how I'm doing RTMP out to YouTube or this platform that we're on right now, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That's more of like a streaming session enablement. The video encoding and audio encoding happens before that, right? I've got to I've got to turn it into a piece of data before I wrap it into some sort of session creation, and then it goes down stack. Okay, so you've got like your application recording this stuff, then it's compressed at some point after that in one mm -hmm. of those crazy layers and then you've got the transport layer and then you've got it's you know further encapsulated until you get down to ethernet and then finally it's sent over as bits is that like mm -hmm. a very quick like okay absolutely it's fairly accurate cool it all right is, my brain feels better now thank you <laughs> <laughs> now now if you if you really want to take another deep dive on this there is a layer two video standard called avb uh and mm -hmm. there is an avb working group 802 working group for avb and their goal is to do a little bit lower OSI layer of what we're talking about, right? How do I do media transport? How do I do timing? Uh, how do I do all of those things maybe closer to that transport and layer two aspect of this? Uh, AVB has been around a long time. There's actually a standard written on it. And uh, I don't, it, 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 that's a challenging conversation because there's a lot of products out there that rely on AVB right now. I, I don't think we, this is personal opinion. I don't think we necessarily need AVB at that level anymore because there's just so much more robustness now higher up. I don't yeah. need to do it at layer two anymore. I just don't need to. I, I need it above anyway. layer three mm -hmm. so I can route the thing and so I can multicast the thing. I, I don't need it talking ethernet frames uh personal opinion sorry for anyone that's in the 802 working group on that uh <laughs> yeah let's it's let's fine. let the switches alone yeah i totally agree with that chat message <laughs> let the switches be switches we don't necessarily need them doing this other stuff too right so along uh, along the skills vein let's say i'm a i'm an enterprise 
network. I've got a completely separate physical network for my media. Mm -hmm. It's all on its own, 100 gig backbone, all that good stuff. That means I don't have to care about QoS anymore, right? And if I do, how do I care about it when it's it's all media? It all needs priority. It all needs preference. Tell us about QoS and oh, media man. networks, Josh. You're bringing up the QoS thing. <laughs> I was hoping we were going to dodge the QoS thing, but hey, that's we okay. We're here without now. Without it, yeah. <laughs> my, my, so, so one of the things, obviously, being media networking guy over the years has been a lot of QoS conversations. This comes up all the time. Do we need it? Do we not need it? I would say in, in a lot of circumstances 10 years ago, Absolutely. 100%. Right. I'm trying to put everything on the network. Everything is one gig. I need a way to prioritize even a, a you know, 10 voice streams over an Ethernet port. Um, now that it's at 10 gig and 100 gig and above, um, it's becoming less of a priority. But you're going to get my personal opinion. My personal opinion is, yes, you do need it in all cases, um, but you need to do it right. Bad QoS is worse than no QoS. Um, right. You've got a lot of control traffic that's happening on your network that probably needs some level of prioritization and it might we, not hurt to put that in a priority qu- queue. Can we yeah. quote you on that? Bad QoS <laughs> is better than no QoS. Yes. I no. would like to tweet that. I'm going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no I, I even said it wrong, but Hey, the, 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 the idea is right. You, you got to think about the traffic types on the network for sure. Uh, and if you've got control traffic, you absolutely have control traffic on your network. Um, you know, how your switches talk to one another is over a control plane. Are you prioritizing that and making sure that any bandwidth over subscription is not crushing your control plane? Uh, I'm going to get so beat up on this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Please, please feel free to tweet me at at Warcop and say, oh, my gosh, he's saying you probably need QoS. <laughs> now, when you've got when you've got a network like that and you're you're hosting like this huge event, like, for example, the Super Bowl and it happens once a year or whatever, it's not happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you make specific changes to the network for that specific event and then roll them back later? Or how do you do you just expect that is the network designed so that at any point technically it could host a Super Bowl and be fine? Or like what what are the preparations for something like that besides like shipping your data center places? Yeah. So the the in venue network, so like what's in a stadium or what's in a sports venue, something like that, right? That doesn't change very often, right? How the video gets to all the screens, how the phones work, how the scoreboard works, that's all fixed. Um, that's not going to change. It's set up for multiple events. Just, just mm-hmm. It's not the Super Bowl, but hey, I'm going to have a, a football game here in mm-hmm. every few okay. weeks, right? I'm going to have a concert here. I'm going to have all of these different things, right? The venue has to make, you know, they're, they're in business to have events, right? So they've got to keep doing stuff. So the in-venue stuff doesn't change that much. What happens for a live broadcast is all the trucks roll in the back. And so now I've got to hook the internal network out to all of the broadcast takers that are in the back parking lot. That used to be like running a whole, well, it still is. Let me, let me clarify. It's still a lot of cables, right? Cables going out the back door, going out into the broadcast lot, cables, cables everywhere. Right. If, if you want these different feeds, I've got to give you five cables to do this. How the conversation is going is now I can run a couple of fiber connections out to you that may be uh, 25 gig, 100 gig. And you can kind of pick it like a channel on your TV. Like what feed do I want? I don't have to give it to you all on separate cables. I can give you an Ethernet connection 
and you can view all the multicast streams in your truck. And then you can do whatever you want hmm. to from there. Send it out on satellite, huh. send it out on another network, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the in venue to the external venue is definitely becoming more Ethernet too. Um, less cables, less cables to worry about. And in some cases, even more redundancy because I can do it all on two cables um, for all the feeds that are coming out of the venue. That's another advantage of moving to Ethernet, huh? Yeah. So there's okay. so there's a there's some flexibility there, and there's also um, just the reduction in time to set up and tear down. Right. It, if if I had a, a truck roll in and they needed everything from the venue, that that might have been twenty, that might have been forty cables that someone has to patch in, and you're talking about all the network takers out back. So you're talking hundreds and hundreds of cables and hours and hours of just patching things down. So wow. it's better now if we can go to Ethernet and just say, hey, here's two fiber connections. You pick whatever you want off of them uh, now, or this more. This is a dumb question, probably, but like when you say takers right out back who do you mean specifically like <laughs> news trucks or who, yeah, who's so, doing this yeah so news trucks or broadcast channels let's say there there might be a bbc truck right in an american sports event right because they're going to get some rights okay. to to play stuff on their network in the eu um or any of the regional takers that are going to be you know rebroadcasting into their network uh and making sure it goes out on the antenna in the regional markets right all of those are kind of like takers i would say uh, it may be like a, a you know, we, we talked about earlier, maybe like an ABC or NBC or CBS that's doing a lot of this might be a Fox that's doing a lot of this. Uh, those three letter media companies are pretty big at all this stuff. Um, yeah. And they've got their own regional networks that need to receive all the content. So uh, how all of that gets meshed around. I really don't know that much about it. I just know that there's a there's a cable that goes from a camera <laughs> out to a truck, and then it goes then into the ether. <laughs> it goes in the air. Okay, yeah, it goes in the air. At that point, we're, we're you know, so I never knew we're, we're exactly so kind. We're so kind with our words in <laughs> yeah. in IT, right? Everybody's either a user or a taker. It's just, <laughs> I love the verbiage we use. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a good that's a good so, point. I never thought I, about that. Yeah. I didn't. I I didn't want to let this episode finish uh, without talking about this, Josh. Should we talk sure. about uh, digital signage in in different streams that go into that? So there okay. is this magical, mythical sphere-looking thing that's getting built out in the desert in Vegas. <laughs> there is. What is this thing? How is it pushing these pretty pictures out around the sphere? Oh, that's that's great. So the sphere lit up this week, right? I mean, it was like a July July 4th thing. They turned on the Hello World. Uh, and now it's, you know, this this orb of delightfulness in Vegas. Um, <laughs> They're going to ask right. the so, rights to that phrase, too. The official orb name, of delightfulness. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is a very large digital sign. Um, very, very large digital sign. It has some relation to, like, if you've been into a, or a large sports venue, like the scoreboard that's in the middle of the arena, we've all seen those, right? The halos and those, like, the big signs that go all the way around the arena. It has yeah. some relation to that. What drives that and those signs or big scoreboards is definitely a data center network, high bandwidth multicast data center. Uh, there's just so many pixels involved and so many video streams involved that I'm talking several thousand multicast streams, right, to power or something like that, right? Uh, it's not one multicast stream. I've got to send synchronized, timed, synchronized video to all of these pixels that are on the external of a sign. It's a lot of data, right? A lot of color now, data. 
a lot of things. Timed. The timed aspect of that interests yes. me. How do you achieve precision timing like that? I'm super curious. Yeah, time is hard. Uh, we can, yeah. we can have a whole episode of time. We can go oh, timey, wimey, space and time, I, quantum working physics. Working with rockets. Yeah. yeah I, I, <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Uh, so, so the, the time is definitely precision time protocol, PTP. Uh, PTP is a huge thing. All of this definitely has to be done with timing involved as well. And that's a lot of times why it's a separate network is people don't want to put PTP on their corporate network. They're like, no, I'm not doing that. You're crazy. <laughs> So PTP V2 <laughs> is definitely a thing. And, and the synchronization of that network is, I would say, critical. Um, and how to get all of those packets to those pixels at a perfect time is 100% a thing. And that's uh, definitely PTP on a data center fabric. It's a leaf spine data center fabric and uh, PTP drives it all. That's awesome. So interesting. Yeah, this, I don't know, I don't, I don't know a whole lot of details about the sphere right now. I would like to get some more details of that in the future. I don't know, you know, exactly how many leaves or, you know, how many multi-class flows it is, but it's it's very large. Are um, you like connected to people? Like if we wanted to ask someone specific things about the sphere, do you know do you know anyone? I do. Cause... I do, but they can't talk about it <laughs> yet. Okay, I was right. going <laughs> to say how much can really be divulged, yeah. Uh I'd love yeah. To do they do. There, there will definitely be some marketing around it for sure. Um, once the time is right, probably once the venue goes live and U2's playing and they're like, hey, it's, you know, U2's first concert, whatever. Um, I'm sure they'll do some marketing around it around that time. But it's a so data center fabric. So take your pick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's start to, to kind of round this out. Josh, you, you wanted to have this episode to, to really show people that there's a whole nother world out there to, uh, networking these media networks. Mm-hmm. What would you say to? Let's talk about the two different scenarios. What is what is some advice you would give to the broadcast engineer that needs to start learning networking or wants to start learning networking? And then what would you say to that network engineer that sees an opening and wants to be able to provide those networking skill sets into the traditional broadcasting world? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the broadcast and the AV side. I, I think uh, starting at the fundamental levels with a, a non-vendor specific uh, certification is a great place to start, right? Learning Ethernet, learning Network Plus may be a good path. Uh, even the CCNA or JNCIA, I think I said that right. Uh, or even some of the early uh, Arista certifications would be a good starting place to kind of understand not only uh, from Cisco's perspective, how to put voice on a network and do some collaboration concepts, uh, but also bleeding into data center infrastructure. Um, not all of the data center products. This is a very subset of a niche world, right? So we're not talking about learning uh, all of Arista data center networking or all of Cisco data center networking or all of Juniper data center networking. That's not the thing. It's just how do I do high bandwidth multicast on data center switches? That's the thing. So yeah, I mean, starting starting from like a Cisco CCNA level is a huge leap forward, I think. I I say that because I think CCNA is a little bit less vendor focused than I think they get credit for sometimes. Uh, so I think that's a good starting place. I mean, they've been doing it for years, right? What, 30 plus years of trying to teach this stuff? Um, so that's a good starting point. I, I actually position that a lot at NAB show a few months ago. I was like, hey, just just go after some CCNA networking stuff. That's a great starting point to learn, you know, core concepts. And I I definitely mention that a lot. Good advice. So cool. network engineers learning AV stuff. 
that's a that's a bit of a challenge if you're not in a in a business or integrator that's actively doing that kind of doing that on your own is a bit of a challenge for sure um right i I don't if you don't have the gear and you don't have access to the gear it's kind of like that Uh, old age problem of i don't have the stuff right how do I learn? What, what about, would you recommend they become DJs to learn? Yeah, be a DJ. Is that helpful? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> learning, learning, learning the anxiety of being live. How about that? Um, <laughs> that is, make them, make some network engineers do more live podcasts. There you go. And, and help okay. them understand that, <laughs> look, this thing's live. You can't have a problem. There's, that's not even a, remote possibilities. So um, understanding of how to build in redundancies, I would say is a huge part of this too, of like, and, and not be, not be crazy about redundancies, but uh, some level of understanding of what, I, what do I do if something fails? There's a lot happening in uh, the communities. I would say a great place to go for network engineers that want to dive into like a community side of this would be like the video engineering community that was, I think they're still propped up off Reddit. You know, that's a huge conversation topic right now. Uh, but if you go look for the video engineering community and if you go look for the AV integrator community, uh, that is a great place to hang out and kind of start learning the lingo of what in the world all of these folks are talking about. That's what I've been doing. I, my background's not broadcast at all. Right. So I've been kind of hanging out in the community and jumping on, you know, the channels and just jumping in and going, hey, what are you what are you doing? What are we talking about today? And just trying to, like, learn some new stuff. I think that's a I think that's a good way to go about it um, just to, to get some of the core concepts down. And I was looking over my discord, as I said, that to make sure I got all of that right. And I was like, <laughs> other community. Oh, you know, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned the NAV show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure we actually said what that is. Can you just briefly explain what that is? Yeah. So NAB show is is basically, I, I think I'm even going to mess this up, North American Broadcasters or National Association of, no, National Association of or Broadcasters. I think that's what it is. Um, I'm going to get beat up. Okay. For not so it's America. It's, it's the it? U.S. I'm, specific, I think. NAB National. Show. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't is. even say on their website immediately. N- so. National Association of Broadcasters. Thank you, thank you. All right, I'm gonna get so hit over the head. So for it's not their con. That. It's like their Cisco Live, but mm-hmm. for the NAV. Okay, yeah, exactly. So, so would you the, would you recommend that as like a an event for a network engineer who's really interested in this stuff, or do you need to be plugged in already to that community? I think you- it's a. Uh, so I went the first time this year. I think it was very eye opening uh, to see like a different different take and different concepts and kind of what's happening in the industry. If you want to dive into like what's happening with the standards, uh, I'm going to give you some acronyms. Here we go. Uh, SMPTE or S-M-P-T-E. Uh, that's a big standards body that's driving a lot of this. Uh, VSF is another one and JT-NM. Uh, those are three different worlds of things you can go learn and read about from a from a broadcast engineering perspective. They've got some great content. Uh, some of that content is gated, but uh, going to NAB and, and sitting and seeing it like firsthand, I think would is, is awesome. It was a, uh, I mean, it was well worth you know the dollars that I spent to go out there and say, hey, I really want to learn this stuff. Let me go sit in these sessions that I have no idea what you're talking about and just start you know learning from scratch. Um, that's what I've been doing, just learn from scratch. Nice. I can I kind of get a little bit of a background though, so I guess I'm not really learning from scratch because a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the concepts kind of bleed over. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think something like NAB and, and going to getting some uh, some more video specific training um, is definitely available to you. 
Okay. Awesome. So, well. Josh, what uh, what maybe did we not cover that you think we should have hit in this one? Uh, let's take a look here. We talked more. We did talk more about the broadcast side. I think that bleeds a lot more ev- over into like the the enterprise AV integrator world. So, like you know, conference room stuff and talking about like Microsoft Teams on networks or you know WebEx on networks or Zoom on networks. You know. All of that is also video on networks, right? Uh, and that even comes brings us back to the QS conversation, like do I need QS on the, on the desktop? Uh, all of those core concepts are translated, right? Just different verticals. If I'm an enterprise person, I'm probably doing video through desktop collaboration or through a co- piece of conference room equipment. We didn't touch on a lot of that. A lot of that is becoming a lot more robust and a lot more commoditized. So for me personally, it's a little bit less interesting now because it's just like, Get out of the box, plug it up, connect to the cloud, and you have video, right? There's Would you no- actually, sorry, to, speaking, speaking on, it just occurred to me, speaking on like the topic of getting introduced to like the big broadcasting type stuff, would you consider like working at maybe an enterprise, but that has a lot of this video and some audio stuff going on, a decent introduction into that world to sort of slide in a bit? Absolutely. Yeah, if, you, if you're in an enterprise, you, you likely have an AV person or lead, right? They may not be reporting into IT, but they may not be even connected to IT in a lot of ways. But you probably have an AV person that manages your conference rooms. That is a great place to go talk. Uh, go talk about what's happening over in what are you doing for digital signage? How are you doing video distribution uh, in our building? Uh, how are you doing conferencing collaboration in all of our conference rooms? Uh, and then you probably have some conference rooms and maybe even some boardrooms, depending on your company, uh, that has an AV rack. Go open the door and look at it. There is a whole lot of stuff in there that is not on your corporate network. And that is a great place to start and just go, hey, I see all these Ethernet cables. What does that do? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and then, and then you know, kind of learn from there, right? There's some encoders and decoders in there uh, for video distribution. And just that's a great definitely doorstep or introduction to it is you've, you've got an AV rack in your building somewhere. Go go take a look at it. Cool. OK, so make friends with your AV person. Awesome. Make friends. Yeah, we definitely did not talk about how to not hate your AV people. <laughs> <laughs> and well, actually, we did. It was learn multicast. Yeah, uh, there, there we go. go. Okay, okay. <laughs> if, if you learn multicast, you will make friends with your AV people. Absolutely. So, Josh, where can people continue the conversation with you? Where can you be found on the Internet? Uh, so I can be found mostly on Twitter at Warcop or on Blue Sky at warcop.com. Um, that's the two that I'm kind of leading with right now. You can definitely find me in the communities that I've mentioned earlier. Also in all of the network and, and art of network engineering community, you can hit me up there. Uh, I'm mostly leaning towards Twitter and like Discord communities right now. So feel free to ping me. I'm usually at Warcop somewhere in those. Um, I don't know that I'm not that anywhere else. Lexi, any uh, any last minute things before we close? Uh, no, this just like it was super fascinating for me. So um, same. Thank you so much, Josh. Like I've actually learned a lot and it's making me a little nervous about not knowing much about multicast, but I'll get over that <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is super sure. fascinating. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's been fun for me to learn it too. It's it's kind of a pivot for me, and it's like, hey, this is this is actually happening, and there's some cool stuff going on. Well, let this uh, be a lesson to all of our listeners too. This episode happened because Josh reached out and 
thought that this would be a great thing to discuss and bring out so traditional network engineers know that this happens. I, I love what you said at the end there in that uh, – I know each and every one of you in your enterprise networks has an AV rack somewhere. You just got to go find it. So if, if any of you have, uh, any, any show ideas that you would like to, to come on and, uh, have a show about, definitely let us know. You can find us on Twitter and multiple other social media platforms, typically at Art of Net Eng on our website, Art of Network Engineering.com. Also check out Cables to Clouds, our other uh, our other podcast, all about uh, going, you know, that the hybrid cloud environment. Check that out hey, as well. By the way, we're all on. Everybody's on TikTok now, so A one oh, yes. and Cables to Clouds TikTok have now. TikToks. Check us out. Just Tim's like, oh there. no, not that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do TikTok, but I heard that I was the face of like our first TikTok. So Oh yeah, um, we have a great one of Tim yeah. doing a, an intro. It's really good. It's got musical background and everything. So oh, go check it out. So we are we are the yeah. TikTok now as well. You can find us anywhere. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. This has been another episode of The Art of Network Engineering. We'll see you later. Hey there friends. We hope you enjoyed listening to that episode just as much as we did recording it. If you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to the show in your favorite podcatcher. You can also give that little bell rascal a little ringy-dingy so you know when we release new episodes. If you're social like we are, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Art of Net Inge. That's Art of N-E-T-E-N-G. You can also find us on that weaving web that is the internet at artofnetworkengineering.com. There you'll find our show notes and some blog articles from the hosts, guests, and other friends who just like getting their thoughts down on that virtual paper. Until next time, friends, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.